All right, if you got your study guide, take a look. We're going to uh, hit a quick review, and I say quick review, that's my intent, to make it a quick review of verse 3. And then we're going to jump into unexplored territory, at least as far as our study is concerned. We're going to hit verse 4 and most likely move through verse 7. I don't think we'll go beyond that tonight, regardless of what time it may be. But uh, we'll try to get through verse 7. Now the way we're doing this is uh, we will read the verse. That applies. In this case, we'll start with verse 3. You'll see questions listed there on your study guide. And I'll read the question to you. Even though you can see it, you can read it yourself. The people who are watching online cannot see or hear that or know that question. So I'll read it for their benefit. And then you get a chance to go ahead and fill it in to the best of your ability. I'm not going to ask you for these papers. It's not to embarrass you or, or whatever else. It's just simply to give you an opportunity to respond to the question. And then once you've answered the question, then we'll go back. Once we've completed that verse number, we'll go back and work our way through those questions together. Okay? And then there will also be some additional questions we'll throw in just for consideration as we're making our way through it. All right, so verse 3, I think it would actually be good to read verses 1 through 3 to start because verses 1 and 2 apply and they have carryover uh, information that's needed for verse 3. So let's start with verse 1. Paul writes, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Okay, once again, verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Okay, so the question that is listed here, question number one, in fact, the only question that's listed is the question, what does he think of himself? Okay, he says if he, if he thinks himself to be something, what is this something that he's referring to? In your thoughts... What is he saying this something is all about? Take a moment and jot down an answer to that question. Alright, is everyone finished? Okay, so what is he talking about? If he thinks himself to be something, what is he relaying this thought to? What is he saying that this guy is thinking himself to be? Does anyone have a thought they'd like to throw out? Well, my personal experience has been pride has gotten in my... Okay, so there's a pride issue going on. And I think this pride issue has brought this person to the place to where he thinks himself to be morally superior. Uh, okay, so this guy's fallen into sin. And what we're seeing, this person who thinks himself to be something, should be the kind of person that we find in verse 1, 
who is spiritual in nature, and therefore he reaches out to restore him. But instead, this guy thinks himself to be something so important and so big that what we find is his pride has boosted him to such a level that he thinks himself to be morally superior over everyone else. And therefore, instead of reaching out in the spirit of gentleness, he reaches out with condemnation. He reaches out with this superiority, this air of superiority about him that makes everybody else feel belittled and lesser than what they really should feel in this occasion. And so he says he has developed this mentality. He thinks himself to be so superior, but the problem is that he's really deceiving himself. He's deceiving himself. Now, what, what do you think he means by that? Okay, so the person who feels morally superior, his sin in his mind is not as bad as the person who is, is engaged in this moral failure. Okay, his sin of thinking that. That type of prideful uh, attitude, that type of prideful behavior is, is what brings about the deception upon himself. He thinks that he is so much above this. And yet the Bible is saying he's deceiving himself. He thinks that he could never fall into that same type of sin. And yet what we do now is refer back to verse 1, the end of verse 1, when he says, keep watch on yourself, lest you also be tempted. Before you get this high and mighty feeling, before you take on this air of moral superiority, you better keep watch on yourself. You better guard your own heart because you can fall just as easily as this other person did. And so instead of taking this thought that, that I could never do, I can't believe that you have fallen, and it may be something we can't believe. I, there are people that I've been told have done certain things by a spouse or by the, they themselves come told me, and, and I was taken back by it. Oh my goodness, I can't believe it. I'm not saying that we may not be uh, completely flabbergasted that it's happened, but not to the point where we say, I could never do that. Oh, I cannot believe you. Because what we are doing is setting ourselves up for failure. God has a way of bringing proud people down. He has a way of humbling those who have exalted themselves. And so what instead God expects of us and shows us through the writings of Paul in this book of Galatians, He expects us to humble ourselves, to recognize that we're not superior, that we're not better, that yes, we are capable of the same thing. And with that spirit of humility, then we reach out to someone. It makes it a little easier to do so with the gentleness, the spirit of gentleness. Remember that that spirit of gentleness is fruit of the Spirit. It's the work of God in our lives. God bringing about this gentleness to acquaint us with, with what other people are feeling to where we can restore them in love. And so it's a gentleness that comes from the Holy Spirit, but it starts with a humble attitude. Humbleness, this humility that God provides, that God alerts us to, to where we understand 
that we could be in the same situation, we could be in the same shape. Now my thought in this, and we talked about this last time, and in fact Brenda answered the question and answered it very well uh, when we talked about it the first time. I don't know why I remember you answered it, but uh, you did. Uh, yeah, you, you may or may not ever remember that again. I may not either. But uh, Okay, so, so what, we, what we come to now, when someone approaches this with such pride and such uh, attitude of moral superiority, and then they fall into sin... It's really easy, maybe it's just me, maybe it's just my sinful nature. It's, easier, it's easy for me to look at that and say, well, you earned it. You just live in that for a while. And, and in my way of thinking, it, it's, it would be simple for me to say, I'm not reaching down to help you. Now I hope that when that time comes, if it ever comes that God will have grown me to the place of maturity that I will be able to do that. I'll be able to reach out. But then in this situation, who's going to reach out to someone that's had that type of attitude? Okay, she answered it again. These same people who, who are spiritual in nature, who are humbled before God, the same people that would reach out to the original person in moral failure will also reach out to this person. Despite his pride, despite his attitude, they will still reach out to assist, to draw him back in the spirit of gentleness. Why? Because that's what we're commanded to do as children of God. That's what we're directed to do when someone has a moral failure. Now verse 4 then takes us to another degree. He says, but let each one test his own work. And then... His reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. I, I told you when we started this discussion back in November, I told you that there was a verse in this text that gave me problems. And in fact, it's a verse that's given me problems throughout most of my Christian life. I would, I would, I'm trying to go on memory, which is not always a positive thing, but I would I would try to go back and tell you that it wasn't until I was studying this that I began to understand this verse a little differently. Now when I say I had a problem with the verse, it wasn't that the verse was in error. We know that God's Word is perfect and it's complete. So then if there's a problem with the verse of Scripture, the problem is mine. It's my understanding or lack thereof. It's my inability to comprehend what God intends by the passage. I haven't taken it into context. I haven't studied it out thoroughly enough. And as a result, I have a problem with the verse and I just don't understand it. And that's what I did with this verse. I did not understand it. And so I want us to talk through that. We're going to begin at a different place and then move to that particular thought. But he says, first of all, let each one test his own work. Okay, so your first question is, how do we do that? How do we test our own work? If you will, take a minute and fill that in on your sheet. How do we test our own work?
Now, from the way I see some of you writing, when we get done with this study, you can write your own book. Because some of you just, you're going and going and going. You go, girl. Okay, so let's start at the opposite side of it first. Okay, instead of dealing with the question, first of all, that says, how do we test our own work? Maybe we ought to start with the thought of what is typical, human nature-wise, what is typical for us? How do we want to test our own work? Okay, has anybody got a thought on this? How would we prefer that we test or prove our own work, our own worth? Okay, okay, we can lie about it. Uh, we just make it out to be what we want it to be. Okay, that's definitely one way. What? Okay, by comparing it with other people. Did you know it doesn't matter how horrible of a person I am, I can generally find somebody that's a little worse. And if I want to, I can compare my works and my goodness to someone that's a little worse than I am. And all of a sudden, regardless of how horrible I am, I look a little bit better than that person. And that's the tendency, humanly speaking, for us. We, we want to look better. We want to look superior to someone. And so we'll find that person in the neighborhood or we'll find that person at work or at school, wherever the case may be, that's a little worse than we are. And then we'll compare ourselves to them. And by comparing ourselves to them, we're all of a sudden not as bad as people thought. In fact, we're okay. You might compare yourself to Hitler. And all of a sudden, you look pretty good. <laughs> but what's the real test? Okay. Okay, so we're comparing it to a different standard. We're comparing it to a different standard. We're going to get into motive in just a second. Let's start where Brenda started. Okay, we want to compare ourselves to the ideal. And who's the ideal? Jesus Christ. Okay, so we compare ourselves to the Savior. How do we compare ourselves to the Savior? Through the Bible. Word of God. I've got to be in God's Word. And I've got to know what God says about His Son so that I see the standard that is set. I see the, the perfect example that is given to me. So then I compare my works to the works of Jesus Christ and then there is this reality that hits. All of a sudden, I'm not boasting about something based upon how I compare to somebody that's a little worse than me or a whole lot worse than me. But now I'm comparing myself to someone who is perfect in every way. So then my, my ability to boast about how good I am goes right down the toilet. Now, this is one reason I've had a problem with this verse, just trying to understand it, comprehend what was going on. It was because he says then, uh, verse 4, he says, Then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. And I was thinking, you know what, the Bible tells us that all of the righteousness that we can manufacture on our own is like filthy rags. 
Now, just the word filthy rags is enough, but if you knew what he's really intending by that statement, it's a very, a very gross thought. And he's saying, the very best I can manufacture on my own is that gross before God. And so, why then would I have any reason to boast in myself? And I struggled with this because I felt as if he was saying, okay, there is a reason for you to boast, but you need to boast for the right reason and not for one compared to someone who is not the one you need to be comparing yourself to. But I think ultimately what he's saying is, Stop comparing yourself to someone that doesn't matter. Start comparing yourself to one who does so that when you do, all of a sudden you see yourself in reality in line with, with what the product should be and you begin to understand there's really nowhere to boast so that if there is anything to boast in, then it's the real deal. And I think he lays it out for us so well as if to say, you better stop placing yourself into a standard that doesn't matter. I think so many, so many of us have this tendency that we just want to compare ourselves to somebody else at church. Well, I may not be doing everything right. I may not be serving, but I'm better than he is. Hey, have you seen what he does? And so Paul says, let each one test his own work. Then his reason to boast being himself alone, not in his neighbor. Uh-huh. Oh, that's good. Good thought. He said the comparison takes us back to what we're supposed to be doing in verse 1. That's, that is a legitimately good thought. Okay, brothers, if anyone is caught into transgression, you who are spiritual should restore the person in the spirit of gentleness. Okay, so here is the, the, here is the, the example that's set before us. We saw this in the person of Jesus Christ. Remember that they brought to him the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. They wanted to stone him, stone her, and they asked Jesus, would just give us the word. In other words, this is on your plate. What did Jesus say? The person who's without sin cast the first stone. What Jesus wanted to do, instead of lashing out according to the law, he wanted to, to bring her back to restore her. What did he tell her after her accusers left? Now go and sin no more. In other words, man, you better get straightened out here. Okay, so he's given us the example that we have a responsibility to follow Christ in restoring people. And for the person who has followed that example, he compares himself to what he's supposed to be, according to the Word of God, verse 1, and he sees how he's actually doing. That's a really good thought. You have a follow-up? Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right. the The word "work," he said, is is 
deceiving to us because we usually send our minds to one way. We're working um, to achieve goodness. We're working to achieve salvation. Some people have that mentality. And yet what he's saying here is not based upon that. He's talking about what we're supposed to be doing in verse 1. The responsibility that God has given to us to restore people in the spirit of gentleness. Bring them back in a spirit of love and kindness and meekness. So then the boasting is not about how great we are compared to someone that doesn't really matter in the equation. It's based upon the standard that's given to us in verse 1. He then takes us to verse 5, which continues the thought. He says, for each one will have to bear his own load. Each one will have to bear his own load. Okay, now he's just told us in verse 4, let each one test his own work. Then he will have reason to boast, will be in himself alone, not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. Now, there's not a question listed on your study guide, but I want to give you one to write in. Okay, just simply, and I think it's important to understand this, what does he mean by that? Each person will have to bear their own load. What does he mean by that? Each person will have to bear his own load. Okay. Okay, so I can't I can't carry somebody else's sin. I can't carry somebody else's load. I'm responsible for my own and each person is responsible for their own. Now, ultimately, the time is going to come when we answer for what we've done. For the child of God, person who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. We will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. In my opinion, I know there's varying opinions on this, but I believe the rapture occurs before the tribulation, and at that point we go to, into glory with Jesus Christ. We'll be with Him forever. But at the beginning of that period, while tribulation is taking place on earth, we will be at the judgment seat of Christ. That will be followed by the marriage feast of the Lamb. But this, this begins when we stand there, and the Bible says at that time that we give an account of the deeds done in our body, whether they be good or bad. Now the thing is, we don't answer for our sin at that point. And why is that? Yes, I heard it from several places. Our sin has already been paid in full. Jesus Christ took care of that on the cross of Calvary. He tells us and promises us in the word of God that my sin will never again be remembered. Now that's something to shout about. I don't have to worry about getting into glory and having my sin meet me. I don't have to worry about getting there and answering for my sin. Not that it's not bad. Not that I shouldn't have to answer for it. But because there was one that was so precious that he sacrificed himself to pay for my sin. And it's been paid in full. 
The Bible says it's been removed as far as the east is from the west. It will never again meet up with me. Never. And that's a blessing. But I will still answer for what I've done on this earth. I will answer for the deeds done in my body, the motives and intents of my heart. Why did I do what I did? Why did I go to church? Was it so that I would be seen? Was it so that I could fulfill a spiritual responsibility? Why did I give in the offering plate? Why did I not give in the offering plate? So I'm going to have to answer for the things that I have done. My motives and intents of my heart on the things that I have done. I believe that it's going to work something like this. That all of those things somehow are going to be seen as a tangible product. That we're going to experience a full flashback of the things we've done since salvation. And we're going to see the actual intent of our heart. And everyone else is too. And that's my opinion. I, I can't actually take you to a passage of scripture and say that. I think that there's some allusions to that, that that maybe we can discuss at some point. But my opinion is that we're going to answer for it. We're going to see it before us. And somehow it's going to appear as a tangible product as either gold, silver, or precious stones, or hay, wood, and stubble. If it was done with the right intent, with the right motive, that it will somehow appear before us in the form of gold, silver, or precious stones. If it was done with the wrong intent, that it will appear as wood, hay, and stubble. And then the Bible says that that is passed through the fire. And those things that were done with the wrong intent that shows up as wood, hay, and stubble are burned up. It's destroyed. I gave thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to the church. And yet I did it with the wrong reason so that now it shows up here at the judgment seat of Christ. as wood, hay, and stubble. Passes through the fire, it burns up, and it is of absolutely no value to me. I think that's one reason Jesus talking to uh, the people as he did, he said... He said, when you pray, you go into your closet in secret, and the one who sees in secret will reward you openly. I think that when we pray, if we're praying to be seen, he said that the, the was it a Pharisee that stood on the corner and prayed how good he was, how glad he was. He wasn't like that old publican over there that was such a sinner. He had his reward right there. When he gets to heaven, if he got to heaven... That would be presented as an ill motive. It would be presented as wood, hay, and stubble. It would pass through fire. It would burn up. It was of no value. No eternal value. But that little widow woman that Jesus watched drop by and put in the least amount of money that she could possibly put in. Jesus said, she's given more than everybody else. And I believe at the judgment seat of Christ, that little bitty offering is going to be seen as a huge chunk of gold. Because the motive and the intent of the heart was right. Now that's what we're not supposed to judge in other people. You hear people saying we're not to judge other people. Yes, we are. We're to judge the fruit that comes out of their lives. But we are never to judge the motive of why they've done it. That's God's job. I, I seem to be able to know why anybody does anything they do. <laughs> At times, oh, I know why they did that. I know. It's wrong. Absolutely wrong. 
I may even be right, but it's still wrong. <laughs> Absolutely wrong. Someday, those of us who are children of God will stand at the judgment seat of Christ and we will give account of the deeds done in our body. Now, those who have rejected Jesus Christ and they die in that condition will one day stand at the great white throne judgment. They will stand before Jesus Christ, the Savior. And I believe the Bible says that the books will be open there. If there's one book, it's called the Book of Life, and they will see if their name's in there. The other book is the Deeds. And I believe, once again, the deeds will be presented. And I believe that God will compare those to the other book, the Word of God. And they'll say, well, this is why I should get into heaven. Because I've done all of these good deeds. Look at all these things that I've done for you. Remember, Jesus said, some will stand before him and say, but Master, haven't we cast out demons in your name? Haven't we prophesied in your name? And what's he going to say to them? didn't know you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You'll be cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You will not get into heaven based upon your good works because the word of God is very clear that that's not what gets you to heaven. And when they compare the works done in the body and that scene very clearly, it's going to testify to the fact that they did not live in purity of life. Purity of life what's required to get into heaven. They did not live accordingly and therefore they will not get entrance into heaven. But Jesus will see them cast into outer darkness. Into the lake of fire. I had someone ask me, what's the difference in hell and the lake of fire? Hell is a temporary holding place for those who die before the great white judgment throne judgment takes place. The Bible says at the end of the tribulation period there will be the battle of Armageddon. This again, this is my opinion. I know there may be some difference of opinion in here. My opinion is that the tribulation, seven-year tribulation will take place, will be followed by the battle of Armageddon. After the battle of Armageddon, it will usher us into a thousand-year reign of Christ. Following the thousand-year reign of Christ, the armies of the world, Satan will be released out of hell. And the armies of the world will be gathered together to destroy Jesus Christ. And God will send down fire from heaven and will destroy them. And it is in that moment that God eliminates sinful people from the earth. And it ushers us then into the great white throne judgment. For those who do not know Jesus Christ are being held temporarily in a place called hell. Most people believe that to be in the center of the earth. Hell is in the center of the earth. And I don't have time. Okay, I was going to go into a little more stuff, but I don't have time. So it's in the center of the earth. The Bible talks about that then hell empties itself. And hell and death, Hades, thrown into the lake of fire. That's the permanent dwelling place. Eternal dwelling place of those who have rejected Jesus Christ. Hell will be dumped in. People will stand before Jesus Christ at the great white throne judgment. And they will then be taken one by one and thrown into the lake of fire. Where they will spend eternity paying the price of their own sin. Okay. I don't know how I got off on that. Um, yes.
Oh, that's great. That, that is a wonderful illustration. <clears throat> Let me try to repeat it back for those listening. Okay, there is, in verse 2, there is a statement that we are to bear each other's burden. In verse 5, each person must carry his own load. Some people see that as a contradiction. In fact, it's not a contradiction. Now, Brother Turner was given an example of this. He said that, that other people can come in and help him bear the burden of his ministry through support, through prayer, other things. Am I talking correctly? But then when it comes to preparing for ministry, for the work of ministry himself, to go out and do it, that's the load that he has to carry himself. Okay, that relates very well to what we're talking about here. Because I can, I can help you through sympathy, bear the burdens of sorrow and suffering that you're going through. I can reach out to you and love you through your moral failures. You can do the same for me. And we can support each other. We can care for each other. But when it comes down to it, then I have a responsibility to confess my sin. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, God responds. And he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, but then if I refuse to do that, if I harbor sin in my life, then the Bible says it affects my prayer. The Lord will not hear me. There are problems and complications. I bear the consequences of my own sin here. As a result, it's my own load at that case. Does that, does that summarize pretty well? Is there something else you'd like to add to that? I had a, um, I've got a little clip here, a little paragraph from uh, one of the commentaries that uh, I, I read through as I'm preparing um, for this. It's, it's Ellicott's commentary for English readers. And this is what he says. It goes along with what Brother Turner was saying. In Galatians 6.2, the Christian is bidden to bear burdens of others in the sense of sympathizing with them in their troubles. Here, verse 5, he is told he must bear his own load, in the sense that he must answer directly to God for his own answers, or his own actions, rather. His responsibility cannot be shifted onto others. It will make him know better that there are others worse than himself. I thought that was a pretty good way to say it. <clears throat> 